subdivision. Well, that's cool, baby. I mean, you know how it is, rocking and rolling and whatnot. Hey there, friends. I'm Lee McCormick. This is Tramps Like Us, a Bruce Springsteen podcast, sidecast, rocking and rolling and whatnot. This is episode 10, Rock and Roll Trios. On the heels of the last sidecast episode that I did on four-piece bands with my buddies Mike and Baba, I thought it would be fun to do a similar themed show. This time we're talking about rock and roll trios. Three-piece bands. We're talking about guitar, drums, and bass. And then one of those guys is going to sing. For this episode, I'm joined by two of my favorite podcasters, BJ Cramp from the Rock and Roll Podcast and Joe Royland from the Sit and Spin with Joe Show. Two great friends of mine. I sincerely enjoy talking music with these guys. And I encourage you to check out their shows. I appreciate you checking out the podcast. Remember, you can listen via the website, TrampsLikeUsPod.com, on iTunes, and now on Spotify, too. The entire catalog of Tramps Like Us and Rockin' and Rollin' and Whatnot episodes are on Spotify, so check the show out there if that's how you do it. We covered a lot of ground here on this episode. BJ, Joe, and myself each have varied taste in music and artists and bands, and that's reflected here as we count down our top ten favorite rock and roll trios. Do you agree with my picks? Do you disagree with BJ's picks? Have you heard all of the bands that Joe mentions? Drop us a line via the website TrampsLikeUsPod.com or join the Facebook group page Tramps Like Us, a Bruce Springsteen podcast and tell us which rock and roll trios we forgot. Hey babe, don't so scared Yeah, so we're uh, we're talking to return return friends and return guest hosts of the podcast, Joe Royland, the Sit and Spin with Joe show. How you doing, Joe? Doing great, Lee. How you doing? Uh, pretty good, pretty good. And of course, BJ Cramp from Rock and Roll. What's happening, man? Hey, Lee. Hey, Joe. Hey, BJ. <laughs> So the idea for this, I guess, topic, we're going we're gonna to talk about top 10 rock and roll trios, our top 10 favorite rock and roll trios here. And I've been doing so many lists lately, like BJ, you've been asking me on your show and top 10 of this band, top 10 of that, right? And, you know, just for fun, I like making lists and, you know, it stirs up conversation. So I, I just did a previous podcast with a bunch of friends and we did our top, like my top 15 four-piece bands that are really like, bass, drums, guitar, vocals, that kind of configuration, right? So then I posted something on Facebook where I was doing, like, my top 10, 10 or 15 rock and roll trios, right? And that stirred up some discussion. So we figured we'd uh, continue discussion on the uh, on the sidecast here. <laughs> Very difficult to narrow down, but... I, I went with 15, but you guys, you guys <laughs> could pick more than 15. I was running out of I, bands I... after 15, personally. I, I was up to like twenty twenty five. Oh wow! <laughs> oh yeah, I've got a list of what more than twenty five even here. Yeah, <laughs> wow. yeah. I kept thinking of more, and and then it's 
a lot of them I love so much that it was just difficult to not include some of them. In the exactly. List. Same here. Yeah. So we're thinking like trios, you know, a guy playing bass, a guy playing drums, a guy playing guitar, and, you know, one of those guys is going to also be the lead vocalist. Right? So there's uh, so we're going to go through our lists here, and, uh, you know, there's probably going to be like some overlap. Yeah, well, not some overlap, but there's going to be some cases where you're going to be like, are they actually like a trio because that one time they did that record and they added that piano player or something like that, you know? Yeah, I was going to say, there's bands that started out as a trio, but then became like a four-piece or a five-piece, you know, down the road. But like, maybe their first few albums were a trio. Yeah. As long as it was like the core of their career, or like the prime of their career, or maybe the most identifiable version of the band was a trio, then I figured that would count, you know? Yeah, like I had to disqualify Thin Lizzy even though they started out as a trio and their first three albums were as a trio. But then the most recognizable version of the band was with the twin guitar lineup. So that kind of counted that right out. I don't even like the trio version of Thin Lizzy stuff anyways. (laughs) And it's got to be a band that can can deliver their music live on stage as a trio, right? Like certain bands could call themselves a trio and they make, records in the studio but then when they play live they would always have people with them right this uh, there's so many i can think of that add like a touring keyboardish slash guitarist slash multi-instrumentalist yeah but we're thinking you know mainly known as a trio kind of thing right Right. yeah all right so uh so don't we just get into it here man we're just going to talk about these bands briefly each and uh you know play some tunes and see what happens here so uh (laughs) let's start with uh who should we start with joe let's joe give me your uh give me your 10th favorite Rock and roll trio. Oh man, this this was so hard narrowing them down. There are just so many good ones. I had to, even though I'm sure some of these might make your list or somebody else's list, I had to eliminate just for the sake of elimination. I had to eliminate people like Jimi Hendrix Experience, Stevie Ray Vaughan and Double Trouble, Buddy Holly and the Crickets, Jeff Healy Band. Even though I love all those bands, because when you kind of get right down to it. There's like one person who is the focus of all those groups and like the rhythm section maybe not as well known as as the main guy. And it's just the, I had to eliminate those bands just because even though I love all of them. Um, and even then, it was still hard getting it down to number 10. But I would say uh, my number 10 favorite is a fairly recent band. Uh, it's a trio called The Joy Formidable out of uh, Wales. Um They've had a, three, a few albums out. They just had a new album come out recently. And uh, Ritzy Bryan, lead guitar singer, they uh, just loud. She's a killer guitar player. Uh, Rian Deputy's on um, bass. And I forget the drummer's name right off hand. I should have written that down. But just super great band. Uh, they rock harder and heavier than you would think they would, but they can also do really mellow stuff that's almost borders on Pink Floyd territory too. Yeah, I've never heard of those guys. So they're a brand new band from the, like a, a UK band. Yeah, they they they're like four albums into their career now, I believe. Yeah. Good for yeah, you. Yeah, I like I like non I like new music, man. <laughs> yeah, I like them, but I haven't listened to them very much. I've reviewed them twice. I've reviewed two of their albums on my show, and I st- they have a new album out that I, I haven't even had a chance to listen to it yet, but I'll probably get around to reviewing on the show at some point. Open my ears up for them. All right, what do you got, BJ's? You're number 10. Yeah, as we said, it was really difficult to narrow this down, and, uh, you know, I even left the police off my list, even though 
because I was thinking there's a lot of police songs I love, but there's also a lot of police songs that I really don't like at all. And there's a couple of police albums that I barely even like. So that's right. kind of why they didn't really make the cut for me. But, you know, there's a lot of police stuff, of course, that I love. But they were maybe hovering around the number 11 spot. But my number 10 is Zebra from, I think, New Orleans, right? And Yes. Awesome power trio. Um, great songs on the first two albums. But for me, the best Zebra album by far is the third record called 3v which is a really strong album all the way through i would highly recommend that record but yeah this is a great classic band that was always a trio and uh you know randy jackson the other randy jackson on guitar and vocals uh that really high screechy voice <laughs> that he has um oh yeah. great call yeah i know that name i'm not familiar with the music though they're like 80s kind of metal band yeah, hard rock. Yeah. yeah, they had a couple of minor hits, and uh, you know they're not very—they're not really very well known. But like I said, I would highly recommend that third record. Really strong. All right, so for my number ten, I'm gonna go with my first of three Canadian content rock and roll trios here, and I think they're all from Toronto, actually, two Toronto trios. So we'll probably go with the second most popular Toronto trio, which is Triumph come in at number 10 for me they're all right you know they got some good tunes you know they get good hoser uh points just for wearing uh mike levine would wear those hockey jerseys all the time right that st louis <laughs> blues jersey yeah. was cooler yeah <laughs> yeah gilmore on lead vocals you know with those sunglasses they were kind of fun <laughs> yeah joe and i did an entire episode of rock door roll about triumph yeah we picked our 10 favorite triumph tunes so we're, we're both fans nice. yeah, yeah they didn't make my list but, they uh, did miss. They did miss my top ten. I will admit. They're another band where a lot of songs I love, but then plenty of songs I don't really like, and yeah. albums that aren't that strong. So that's kind of why. Yeah, they had and they had a big moment at Usfest '83, right? Where they were they were on second last to Van Halen that night, right? I'm not sure. They're another band like Zebra that kind of they hovered around the metal, and they could be really heavy live, but they never really felt like a metal band. They felt felt more like a hard rock band, but. It's interesting those bands that kind of were on the fringe of what were they metal, were they hard rock? Sometimes yeah. they would cross one of the lines, but yeah. Allied yeah, like this, they they get played on Headbangers Ball, but you know. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Joe, what do you got for your number nine? My number nine is um, another newish band, um, a band called Failure with Ken Andrews and um, oh god I'm doing terrible here today uh, but Ken, Ken Andrews is the main guy out of the band and uh, Kelly Scott on drums and I uh, god Greg I can't remember his last name just, I'm just losing it today it's been a long day already uh, but they, they were uh, they were they were on the scene most of the 90s they took a really long break they just came back in 2015 with a new album that was like they never even left picked up right where their last album left off is fantastic um they are working on uh, another new record right now but it's kind of um a little bit of industrial um just very much alternative rock type sound and uh, ken andrews is of course he when he's gone on to like be a producer and engineer he's had like five other bands in the time that failure was down and uh i i just love all their stuff You're giving me some more music to check out here joe i like that 
Yeah, I don't know that band either. <laughs> uh, I think I have my 100th episode featured their their last album. Yeah, my number nine is one that maybe you guys don't know either. A band called Pond, a 90s band. Uh, they were on. They were from Portland, and their first two records were on Sub Pop, and they were kind of. At one point, they were kind of thought of as maybe the next Nirvana, but they never, you know, they never had a hit or anything. But uh, listening to this now, I probably wouldn't like it as much as I do. But it's one of those things where I listened to it so much back then that the songs are just ingrained in me. And it's just kind of a nostalgia thing. And I know, you know, I know the album like note for note, the, the first two albums, especially still really great songs, but they were higher on my list until I was kind of listening to to these bands and trying to rank them. And and then I was realizing if I was unfamiliar with this and I heard it now, I probably wouldn't like it nearly as much as I do. But just, I loved it so much back then and listened to it a lot. Another one of those bands that was like one word, four or five letters. Yeah, that grunge, that (laughs) grunge. Yeah, there's a newer band, I think from Australia, that has the same name, which, you know, these, these bands that don't, you know, when they name themselves, they don't do any research to see that there was already a pretty prominent band with the same name in the past. Yeah, um, it's happened multiple times in recent years. But uh, yeah, their second album was called "What the Practice of Joy Before Death," and I think they recorded it all in their house on like a four-track. But yeah. it's really good, uh, really good songs. I saw them open for the Screaming Trees back then, and that was back oh, when wow. I, used to, I used to go to shows. To see the opening bands you know that hasn't happened in decades but there was a time where yeah, i would go to a show and i was more excited about the opening band you know my number nine is uh toronto band the jeff healy band and uh uh <laughs> sorry there dj <laughs> but come on man you can't deny the talent of uh, jeff healy i can deny it's horrible he's a great guitar player man and he's blind. I'd rather listen to cry. the unorthodox <laughs> guitar playing too playing that guitar in his lap right that's just the way he learned yeah. how to play guitar which is incredible and because he's doing that he gets such a stretch with his left hand because he can go he can play with his thumb on the fretboard right so he can go thumb yeah. to picky finger on the fretboard you know he's just a, an amazing guitarist and like yeah. joe you were saying you kind of eliminated a couple of bands including jeff healy um because it's focusing focusing on the uh you know the front man and the the main leader of that band, but what those bands have in common is they're all blues bands, right? It's kind of that right. It's, it's, it's that genre. It's like it's, it's a blues. It's, it's a rock and roll blues trio, you know. Yeah, like I can see why they're out with DJ, but I love Jeff Healy Band. It was hard to cut them from my list. Um, I met Jeff on a couple of occasions. He's the nicest guy in the Sweetest world. Sweetest guy in the world. Um, yeah. yeah, and he was also a rather accomplished trumpet player too. Absolutely. He, yeah, he used to. He had a club here in Toronto, like in the '90s, early 2000s. There, and he would play once a week, and it was like the Jeff Healy Band, Jazz Messengers, or whatever like that. And he would have yeah. like a ten-piece band, you know, playing jazz New Orleans kind of stuff. And he wouldn't play guitar; he played trumpet and stuff, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, but honestly, I've never heard any Jeff Healy besides whatever the couple of songs were that were on MTV. But that's because I would never subject myself to more of that shit. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's great music, man. I don't know where you're coming from, BJ. I love the blues. I love these guys okay. that can play. And blues just rock is the worst. BJ's just not a blues rock fan. He's I can just, understand. Yeah, he's just not a blues <laughs> rock fan. But that's where the musicians really shine is on, on blues rock. And uh, Jeff Healy was certainly an accomplished musician. Yeah. All right, Joe, we're at number eight. What do you got? 
Uh, number eight for me is the the Jam, Jam. classic that's, that's uh, post punk rock band out of England. Paul um, Weller, of course, went on found uh, formed another trio after he left the Jam the Style Council. But um, as far as like that, that, I just you know so many great songs that came from the Jam. And it's just this huge influence on so many other British bands that came after them. Um, Kind of like BJ's. I don't love all of their stuff, but most of it is 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 classic. It's great. Yeah, that's a good pick. I like the Jam. Yeah, the Jam are number six on my list, and they were in my top five. And it's almost like they should be, but you know, I probably put too much thought into this. But uh, well, I was thinking about what would I take to a desert island, like I was saying, and that's kind of when they they went out. But yeah, especially. All Mod Cons and Setting Suns. Yeah. You know, their first two albums are kind of more punky, garagey, and they're good, but not as much melody. But then they really hit their stride on those middle records. And yeah, amazing song. Yeah. Great band. Yeah, for sure. All right, BJ, you're number eight. Uh, my number eight is one that a lot of people would rank much higher than me, Husker Du. Uh, Joe probably has them higher. But I've never liked them as much as other people seem to. And I think it's. I've always thought it's for two reasons. I don't like the guitar sound on their records, and I don't really like Bob Mould's voice either. And I think those elements, even though there's great songs, I'm undeniably great songs, I just never really liked the sound of their records 100%. Never really 100% connected with me. But, I mean, I've known a lot of people who just worship the band, and I've never liked them as much as other people I've known, but they do deserve to be in the list. So yeah, believe it or not, I am with you on that, BJ. They they actually fell out of my top ten. Yeah. For the same exact reasons you listed. It's like usually it was either people were a uh Huskadoo fan or a replacements fan, and I was a replacements guy. So Yeah, and my favorite of all of the Minneapolis stuff is Soul Asylum. But yeah, I rank yeah. replacements and Soul Asylum way higher than than Huskadoo in my for my taste. Yeah. Yeah, I do have another Minneapolis trio on my list, though. So. <laughs> <laughs> For my number eight, I'm going to go with The Police. You know, they were a big band when I was growing up. Those songs were on the radio all the time. And, you know, from Roxanne to uh, Synchronicity, I was a fan of all those records. Uh, specifically, uh, Stuart Copeland and Andy Summers, I really gravitated toward those guys more than Sting. Like, even in the early days, I realized that Sting was kind of like a fucking pompous idiot, right? <laughs> <laughs> And I, I absolutely gravitated towards Stuart Copeland. I just always thought he was an incredible drummer, the way he would mix like reggae and kind of punk and new wave grooves and stuff like that. I always thought that was a really cool style with that band. Yeah, you know, their yep. first album is killer, but yeah. there's a lot of boring shit on their later albums that In I just middle, can't get. Yeah. Like most yeah. of Ghost in the Machine to me is complete snooze. And True. yeah, there's just lots of, there's lots of great songs like, like walking on the moon and stuff that I just completely love, but there's plenty of stuff just I wouldn't really want to listen to at all. So if all the records were as good as the first one, they'd for sure be on my list, you know. Yeah, they do have a pretty great greatest hits too, right? And when I was growing yeah. up, that's yeah. all I had, and I didn't start getting going back and getting entire artists catalog until like my 20s when I started making money and I could afford to do that, right? So growing up, I kind of just had greatest hits by all these bands and, you know, the Police Greatest Hits was was a really good one. You know, they got 12 killer songs, you know? Oh, yeah, for sure, yeah. Joe. I'm saving my comments because my comments, they're, li they're a little higher on my list, yeah. but that's oh. all right. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, 
Oddly enough, though, a band that was kind of considered a a little bit of a knockoff of the police. Um, Some people might consider it a little bit lightweight, uh, but uh, the outfield. um, They were a trio. They were a trio. Uh, I I liked all their albums. I still do. Still listen to them quite a bit, actually. Uh, The late John Spinks on guitar uh, just knew how to write super catchy riffs. Uh, Tony Lewis on vocals. Um, I, I always thought they were kind of underrated, um, but like I have all their albums and like them quite a bit. Oh yeah, they were on my long list of like 25 or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like the Elfield, you know, they definitely wouldn't make my top 10 trios. There's a lot of competition, but, um, but yeah, yeah. What do you have for your number seven trio? Rock and roll trio, BJ. My number seven is an another band that I've done an episode about on Rock and or Roll with John Lamro, uh, Crowded House, who on their first oh, two that's albums. That's a good one. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. Forgot about yeah, the first those first two albums are absolute classics, and they were a trio yeah. for those. You know, they added Tim Finn joined the band for a while, and but I would say that you know the core of Crowded House is those first they two count, records, yeah. which are just yeah, total that's... classics. That's why I, I kind of I had them on my list until it, it's like yeah but they were trio but then they became a four piece and stayed a four piece and so I'm like I had to take them off my list for that reason but um, I I agree they're fantastic they uh they won me over like one of the award shows that they were on and they played like acoustically in the crowd you guys remember that like everybody would be playing on yeah. the stage but they played with like uh, like brushes on a snare drum, acoustic guitar, acoustic bass, like just standing in the crowd somewhere. And I thought that was so cool, you know? And like they were yeah. they were big on much music. Like they had a good kind of connection with Canada and much music at the time. So they would always kind of host shows and be on programming. And they were always really funny too. You know, they were hilarious. And that, that goes a long way, you know, when a band is funny. I think it's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, Neil Finn's a genius. And they're one of those bands that in in – America, they got relegated to this one-hit wonder like MTV status when they're really were an amazing, you know, artistically, creatively, just a brilliant band that deserves much higher status than being thought of as just one of those MTV bands from the 80s, you know. But My number seven is the Jimi Hendrix Experience. You know, that's that's an amazing band. How can you deny it? And, uh, like, they're kind of, like, that blues rock and roll trio, similar to like Jeff Healy band, Stevie Ray Vaughan that we mentioned earlier. But, uh, you know, with Jimi Hendrix, it just goes to another level, especially, you know, with the stuff he did on Are You Experienced and the studio wizardry that he would just pull over that trio as well, you know. But BJ, I know you're not a fan, right? What do you think, Joe, of uh, Jimi Hendrix? Yeah, I love Jimi. Yeah, again, I. I, I <laughs> I, I love Jimi Hendrix experience too, but again, like I kind of took them off just because. Again, it's like the, their focus is mainly just on Hendrix. You know, when everybody's like, you talk about it, you kind of forget about Noel Redding and Mitch Mitchell. Yeah, I don't you know? forget about um, those guys though, man. I think, well, yeah, I know you don't. And I think like I think the musicians that were influenced by Jimi Hendrix, you know, guitar players, like just as many drummers and bass players were influenced by, you know, Mitch Mitchell and Noel Redding as well, right? So. Right. I, I understand. Yeah, I love it. Your, your motivation, Joe, was that this was so difficult to narrow down that you were just looking for excuses to exclude different bands so that you could include others, which <laughs> I, I understand. <laughs> yeah, I, I really don't like Jimi Hendrix at all. I mean, I understand how important he is in the yeah. history of, of rock and roll and the history of electric guitar and everything, but 
Like his voice, I think, is terrible, and oh, I don't. Come on. Really oh, like come on. He's a fucking great guitarist, but he's an underrated vocalist, man. He's got such yeah. a voice, man. Wow. Ugh, I don't think it's good at all. Oh, man, I love it. Yeah, I'm, I, I, I'm on Lily's side on this one. <laughs> Sorry, PJ. <laughs> all right, Joe, where are you at for number six? Um, this is another band that, like, for most of their career, they were a trio. I don't know if they're going to make BJ's list or not. The early albums, definitely. The later albums, probably not. Uh, but um, the Goo Goo Dolls, um, the later stuff, they yeah, they kind of wussed out in the more more recent days, and they they've had they usually have like they're a good example of the band has like a, a fourth guy when they go on tour. Yeah. Uh, but particularly like the everything up to i'd even go into the the 90s stuff uh absolutely love it you know i love uh, hold Superstar me up. car wash is it hold me yeah, up that hold, record with the dots on pull it? me up you know, yep. uh, definitely everything up to superstar car wash like that's my all-time favorite goo goo dolls album um because it's got a little bit of everything it was kind of the bridge album between where they were and where they were going to but um it, it, when vj's talking about being on desert island like i could listen to all those albums again and again and wouldn't get bored of them they had that guy out. They used to have that thing where that uh, was his name Lance Diamond, that lounge singer. Yeah, the incredible Lance Diamond. Yeah, yeah. He would come out yeah. and do like one song an album. He rocked out. Yeah, uh, never take the place of your man. Yeah, it's amazing. so good. Yeah, he was yeah. And he was just like a local, like Buffalo, like yeah. singer in a bar, and they just kind of befriended him, right? Kind of right. Yeah, they'll be coming up later. <laughs> they kind of moved from from the top five down to the top six just because of like you know the change so <laughs> yeah were you your number seven bj uh number six right oh, sorry yeah what's your number six there yeah my number six was the jam so we already the talked jam. about them yeah but you know great obviously great the do you get your number five. six please? uh my number six yeah my number six is uh rounding out i guess the my 10 through 6 I had three of these Toronto trios so you know I got to go with Ru- I got to go with Rush for number 6 you know they just missed the top 5 but uh, you know Rush loses points with me for Neil Peart uh, I never really liked that guy <laughs> That's <bitter>. <laughs> But you know I love Getty and Alex the whole thing I said earlier about how I love when bands are funny like Getty and Alex are total posers you know they're like yeah, but like not in their albums and not are they on stage? On stage they are, absolutely, yeah. They are, okay. They always have like little video vignettes where they're But that movie is one of my favorite movies of all time. That's the best music documentary ever made, I think. And it's all because of their personalities. Through the light you know? stage, yeah. Yeah, that, that is stadium. a great talk. So brilliant. And it's because Getty and Alex are so funny and so likable and yeah. And you Neil's- know, Rush just this weird kind of guy who's musically yeah, he is talented very eccentric <laughs> yeah he's he's very well read you know and he writes lyrics with a lot of syllables in him and he's 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 a great drummer he's just not my style of drummer right that was the thing like and when i you know i was a neil peart fan in high school when i was you know getting into rush and then when i started taking drums seriously and i kind of decided the kind of drumming that i liked like charlie watts and ringo Starr and al jackson like groove drumming like Rush just kind of turned me right off, like kind of that whole prog rock, big stuff, you know, kind of really just turned me off. So, but there's no well, denying like they're a good they, band. They did it on purpose, right? They uh, all three of them tried to to do these insane 
musical arrangements that were just ludicrous in their complexity. Right. And it's like they kept pushing that and pushing that. That's part of what you watch in that documentary is how, you know, they just obsessively made these more complex musical arrangements and uh, like kind of pushing themselves. And uh, that's part of what was so interesting, I think, about that. But that's another one where obviously a lot of people feel this way, but I can't really deal with Getty Lee's voice a lot of the time. So like I was never a Rush fan until later in like when I was a teenager, I hated them, what I heard on the radio and stuff. But, you know, I've come around to realize that they've got some great songs, but I still probably don't like the majority of it. So, well, I love the first record where they're kind of more of a, a rock band before Neil joined the band, you know, like <laughs> working man and finding my way and in the mood. Like those songs are great when they're singing about girls. But I also love subdivisions and that kind of stuff too, right? Like Tom Sawyer, like those are great songs. Somebody asked on Facebook recently, one of my friends asked, what's your favorite Rush song? He wanted people to post their favorite Rush song. And yeah. I, I wrote, uh, what's the one that Amy Mann sings on Time? Time stands still. Yeah, I put that song. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, mine would be the Analog Kid. The analog off kid. Of, uh, yeah. Yeah. All right, so yeah. we're into our top five now. Top five rock and roll trios. What do you got, Joe? All right, uh, this one is uh, the other Minneapolis band uh, trio. It's a semisonic, uh, also out of the 90s. Uh, Dan Wilson, John Munson, Jacob Slichter. Uh, they only did three albums, studio albums. Love all of them. Uh, really psyched that their second album, um, Feeling Strangely Fine, is finally coming out on vinyl uh, at the end of this month sometime. Getting a 20th anniversary reissue this year, uh, but you know, I I listen to the, all those albums constantly. Just love all their stuff. Just great power pop. Uh, I wish they would actually get back together and make a new album. But uh, I've seen them, I don't know, a number of times. Super great guys. Just really cool. And Jacob Slipter wrote one of my favorite books about music. You know, so you want to be a rock and roll star. So. All good. Nice. Supersonic. I have, I have no Semisonic. Semisonic, yeah. Yep. Another, another 90s band. Yeah. You know close, you probably know Closing yeah. Time. Yeah. A big hit. There's a great clip on YouTube where he explains how that song was about is about a, a baby being born. Yep. And he goes it's, through the lyrics, and it's pretty hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> it, once you understand it, it really makes a lot of sense, and it's, it's awesome. Oh, yeah. Time, you need it, time.
Uh, my number five, th- this was like we've talked about, this was really difficult to, <laughs> to pick <laughs> the five, but uh, this is a pop punk band. They formed at NYU and moved to LA in the, I guess, in the early 90s, a band called Jawbreaker. Uh, they were. They were a very popular band on the underground, on the punk scene, and then they signed a major label deal that was very controversial. It's funny how that was in the 90s yeah. where everybody was selling out, you know. Major <laughs> they, got like a million, they got a million-dollar deal with DGC, and then they made a record that didn't sound anything like their early stuff, and all their fans hated them. Yeah. I think I remember reading that record sold 4,000 copies. Even though <laughs> wow. Million deal. Shit. So it was a massive flop, but then the same way that Pinkerton came back around, that album became a cult hit later, and then the CD would sell for like 50 bucks on eBay because there were so few of them around. Uh, it's been reissued since, but that that album, uh, Dear You, which I really like, had has a very interesting history, but their earlier stuff was just more punky and... Uh, I mean, supposedly they were an influence on emo and stuff as well, but yeah, do you you guys know the the uh, the punk zine Maximum Rock and Roll that was around back then? Mm-hmm. Uh, they that that magazine loved this band and then hated them. <laughs> I remember reading an article in there where they were talking about how they had an album release party on a yacht, and it was just this scathing <laughs> indictment. <laughs> of the band. <laughs> so they had a, they had a funny history, but. Uh, but yeah, they their albums, uh, especially Bivouac and Twenty Four Hour Revenge Therapy, are really great, classic like indie punk albums from the nineties.
My number five is that little old band from Texas. Got to go with ZZ Top. Number five. <laughs> you know, that's a great band. How can you deny how good those guys are? Another kind of blues rock trio kind of thing, right? But the difference between, I guess, you know, ZZ Top and, you know, Hendrix and Jeff Healy is that, uh, you know, ZZ Top had a little bit more rock and roll in there, a little bit more kind of boogie woogie. What are you guys' thoughts yep. on ZZ Top? I like ZZ Top. They just narrow, narrowly missed my list, too. Um, it's just because uh, there's so much of their catalog I just don't listen to. But the stuff I do like, I love. Probably one of my favorite albums by them is El Loco, uh, which is a very new wavy sounding album. But um, that that's always been like my my yeah. favorite record to listen to by them. Pearl Netflix on that one. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yep. Definitely. <laughs> I always love like, not, uh, El Duet. What's that one? El Duego? El, du- El Diablo? Or? El, no. Oh, <laughs> El Fuego. El, El, El du- du- Fuego. Uh, yeah, something like that. They had so many. Del, Delgado. Del, Delgado. I can't remember them all. <laughs> that, record com- that record cover always uh, freaked me out when I was a little kid seeing that because it was like all red and it had like a skull with like, skull. like yeah. and bolts on it and everything like that. Yeah. <laughs> What I'm not much of a fan. You don't like that? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> no. it's, come on, it's blues rock again. You know? I was in uh, Waterloo Records in Austin one time, and uh, Billy Gibbons was in there, and I was I was shocked at how skinny and small he was. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But he's a cool cat, too. I've, I've met oh, him yeah. on a couple occasions, and he's he's just the coolest dude. He's a good guy. One of the greatest guitar players of all time. Jimi Hendrix said that he was his favorite guitar player, right? Wow. <laughs> You know, and ZZ Top, you got to give them credit for being, you know, still with the original lineup, like coming on 50 yeah. years, 50 years later, and they've uh, never had a lineup change in their band, you know, and they, they've always consistently toured. Well, I was rolling down the road in some cold blue steel. I had a blues man on the back and a petition out the wheel. We're going downtown in the middle of the night. We're laughing. I'm joking and we feeling all right. Oh, I bet I'm nationwide. Yes, I bet I'm nationwide.
Number four, Joe, what do you got number four? Uh, number four is that band we already talked about, The Police. The Police. Um, always, I, I was a big fan of them when they first came out. Um, I, I like more of the albums than BJ does, but again, if there is one album in their catalog that I can't listen to, it's Ghost in the Machine. My wife absolutely loves it. I, I think I agree with BJ on that one. It's a huge success for me. The but singles most of their other good. albums I love. The singles are yeah, really and good. Yeah, yeah, the singles are good, but the rest, ugh. Yeah, like you, I, I I listen to the albums a lot more for the textured guitar stuff from Andy Summers and Stuart Copeland's drumming, especially so on the early albums. Oh, it's yeah. like that's what I really am listening to those records for. You know, it's incredible uh, percussion work and timing and time shift changes. It's awesome, great stuff. It just has such a sound. Right, he was able that whole band. Yeah. Right, when you're talking about a rock and roll trio, like the one thing I love about it is that. You know, when someone's taking a solo, it kind of it gets empty because there's another instrument that's not playing rhythm. Like when the guitar takes a solo, there's not a rhythm guitar comping underneath there, right? So it's when you so that's when you know the drums and the bass are allowed to shine a little bit more, right? Because there's more space for those guys to play when they're accompanying a soloist, right? And the police right. is an amazing example of how those guys would improvise around each other when they're soloing and how they just created such an original sound that you know it's hard to be duplicated. Right. Yeah, and the fact that I, I love the fact that St Sting came out of like a jazz band and Andy Summers goes back to the psychedelic, the late 60s Nuggets era. And then they, you know, because of the Sex Pistols, all these guys, you know, they form punk bands. Yeah. And you end up, and then, <laughs> then something like The Police grows out of that. And so that's what's really interesting about what came out of the punk scene, how these bands like The Police and The Clash and different people developed uh, over time. It's yeah. Really cool.
Yeah, no, so this this is just my personal favorites or the, the bands where I would want to take them to a desert island or whatever. And yeah, I so my number four is Urge Overkill, a band out of Chicago. <sighs> I like their early stuff, but especially the major label records, Saturation and Exit the Dragon are both really great. And I would want those records. I would definitely not want to have to face never being able to, li- never being able to listen to those records again. You know, I, I, yeah. they're just like 70s rock. They did this, you know, they came out of the alternative indie scene in the 90s, but they made these records for Geffen that are 70s rock albums. And uh, yeah. I think they're great. I think the songs are great. And they had two songwriters, Nash Cato and King Reezer, who both wrote like equal, like half the songs. Each album would have a song by the drummer, which is really good too, Blackie Onassis. But uh, yeah, Exit the Dragon was like poised to be a hit and then it completely flopped. They were one of those bands that were like the next big thing for 10 seconds and then just dropped up the face of the earth, you know, but uh, that's a great record. So I, I remember you had a vinyl copy of that at the first Nashville Rock and Pot Expo and I almost bought it from you. It was like, yeah, oh. yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, because I, I have it at CD and I was like, I don't I don't need this on vinyl. It doesn't really fit with my collection or anything, you know. I don't have the other stuff on vinyl. It just kind of annoys me if I just have that one record by a band. <laughs> you know? I would love to have saturation on vinyl, but I can't find it cheap enough. It's freaking ridiculous amounts of money that thing goes for. Yeah, I'm sure.
right, my number four, Stevie Ray Vaughan, Double Trouble, from Texas. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the great Stevie Ray Vaughan. Probably one of my favorite guitar players. Probably next to, like, Brian Setzer and uh, Ace Fairley. Stevie Ray Vaughan's at the top of my, uh. my, uh, my guitar playing list. He's just an amazing guitar player. Playing that Fender Stratocaster with really heavy strings on it and just bending the fuck out of them. And uh, another guy with an underrated voice, like we were talking about Jimi Hendrix. You want to sing like a blues singer, man. You can hear the pain and the power uh, in Steve Ray Vaughan's voice. You know, and he's played with uh, Double Trouble, that trio formation with uh, Chris Layton on drums, Tommy Shannon on bass. He would add uh, a piano player like on, in 89 kind of for his last tour but for the most part they were they were a blues trio you know and uh, so great what do you uh, think of uh, Steve Rave on BJ that's <laughs> <laughs> uh, just my kryptonite <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I don't care uh, about the guitar playing or the voice uh, I think the songs and the style of music are just the worst <laughs> so they used to play that on milwaukee radio when i was growing up and it's just like one of my most hated things that kind of like pride and joy and that shit i just oh, think it's so horrible uh, yeah. like there's no, uh, there's no other music that lets like a musician and a like a, and a songwriter sh- like express themselves so emotionally and so passionately more than the blues you know those the music th- is so repetitive and generic it just goes nowhere it repeats the same thing over and over and it's so simple and generic and repetitive that it just does nothing for me that's what i like about it <laughs> what do you think joe what do you uh, think about stevie oh uh, i love stevie ray vaughan man one of my favorite guitar players ever he used to say he had to work at playing and thought his brother was a far better guitarist than he was but oh, to man. me like he sounded so natural and he just channeled something like Hendrix channeled Seriously, something from another planet. universe. Absolutely. And ah, love Stevie Ray. He died too damn soon. Too damn soon. I remember getting the news. I was in my bedroom, cleaning my bedroom. I would have been about, this was like 1990, 91. I would have been about 16, 17 years old, cleaning my room, listening to the radio. And the news came on the radio that Stevie Ray Vaughan had died in that plane crash. Or uh, heli- helicopter crash. I think. Helicopter crash, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I saw a bunch of shows at Alpine Valley where he crashed. Wow. Yeah, I mean, that's a horrible tragedy that that happens, you know, and, and like you were saying, Jeff Healy's a nice guy. I'm sure all these guys are great people. I just don't like their music. Yeah, uh, well, yeah that's I mean, that was a horrible thing that happened when that helicopter crashed. And Stevie yeah. Ray Vaughan is a guy that, you know, would have put out an incredible amount of music, I think, in the last yes. 25 years if he would have lived. Yeah. You know, it's just yeah, uh, it's pretty easy, easy to churn out that generic blues music. Yeah. <laughs> it's not <laughs> about it's about the playing, dude. It's about the performance. It's about the guitar playing, like the way that guy fucking played guitar. No one can touch it. Yeah, yeah. And I will say, at least in CB Ray's case, double trouble rhythm section. You know, Chris Whipper Laid and Tommy Shannon. Yeah, there is a rhythm section that like at least held their own with the featured guy and went on and did great stuff after him too you know the Archangels Archangels, album uh, and they were a band that were kind of they would just hold the groove back together and they wouldn't kind of move out there and solo like like the Jimi Hendrix experience kind of would you know because you know Stevie Ray Vaughan was just wild enough so you had these two guys just kind of sit in the back and let Stevie kind of dance all over there the rhythm tracks right and just an amazing yeah. live band like you see footage of Stevie Ray Vaughan playing with the guitar behind his back and with his mouth and stuff like that and he would break a string and he would like switch guitars like mid-song just like all that little stuff just a, an amazing musician 
but you know they could change it up they could do the really quiet stuff or they could do the really fast you know rocking straight out rocking stuff that CB would do they could change it up and you know and cold takes shot talent. cold shot one of the greatest music yeah. videos of all time <laughs> nothing could touch yeah. that video come on <laughs> once was a sweet thing Joe, we're down to a top three. What do you got at number three? 
Ah, my number three band, Motorhead. Come on, let me. Says it all. Let me pile on on there with you because Motorhead are my number three as well. <laughs> you know the the band that if they move in next door to you, your your lawn is gonna die. Yeah, <laughs> you can't. I mean, come on, let me. <laughs> well, uh, I could be a contrarian here. <laughs> well, you, go ahead. <laughs> well, I like Motorhead, of course, but. You know how people always talk, it's like ACDC are the poster child for all the songs sounding the same. Well, Motorhead are the most obvious example, I think, of a band where every song sounds the same. Oh, and Ramones, and, too. But, I mean, those three yeah. bands you well, mentioned yeah. are three of the greatest bands ever. Come on. <laughs> I think Motorhead are really overrated, in my opinion, because I don't, I like Motorhead. But I don't love Motorhead, and I don't rank them high, highly over a lot of other bands the way other people do. Uh, and I also understand they were influential. You know, and they're a cool band, but uh, I just you know, love they don't the... have a lot of songs that stand out to me. It's just all kind of good, but yeah. I don't know. Hundreds of great songs. I love the way that uh. Lemmy and Motorhead were able to mix like heavy metal, punk rock, and like like rock and roll, rockabilly, and that that, right. that mixture. Like like Lemmy would always say, like we're a rock and roll band. He was just like I... turned up to like twenty. Yeah, I mean, I like it, but like I said, I don't, I don't get the hero worship, but like, because they're really, I don't know, so many of their songs are indistinguishable from each other that uh, I don't know. Well, I, it's, it's kind of like, like Lee put it, it's like you, you could say that same thing about how it's what you could say is gentlemen about them. It's also what's great about them too is that they they just they did what they did, they didn't change and fuck anybody else. You know, we're we're gonna do what we do and. You know, it might be simple. It might be seen as simple or repetitive or boring, but this is what we do. This is what, and love it or hate it, you know. So, well, like for example, I remember one time my dad said to me that every Kiss song sounded the same, and I said, I said to him, I said, Dad, you could play me five seconds of any Kiss song, and I could tell you which one it is. So then, doesn't that prove they don't sound the same? But if you play five seconds of a Motorhead song, you're not gonna know what fucking song that is. Yeah, you're not listening. Try me, try me, try me, dude. <laughs> it's just like the Ramones. It's just like ACDC. It just sounds that way to somebody who's not a listener or not a fan. Right? I am a fan of the listener, but I don't know. I think they go beyond even the Ramones and ACDC for how so much of it is just kind of indistinguishable. I just think it's incredible that three guys are able to make a noise like that. The fact that Lemmy, yeah. the way Lemmy would play bass, he would play it like a rhythm guitar, almost, right? Like, he would play it, yeah. he, would, he would hold chords, he would make chords on the bass and play it with a pick. And, like, not just pick each string, you would hit all four strings at a time, right? Just an incredible sound. And he would play through a Marshall stack, not a, not a bass amp, right? Yeah. That's kind of like how Tom Peterson in Cheap Trick does it, too. Like, he plays more, like, chord voicings, exactly. and, you know, with 12 strings, you know? Yeah, you can't deny that Motorhead were cool as shit, you know. I, I don't think. Yeah. And the fact <laughs> that they, they started out as the original trio with Fast Eddie and Filthy Phil. Right. right? And then in the 80s, those two guys left and they got Wurzel and Phil Campbell and, the, and uh, 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 Thin Lizzy guy, Bobo or whatever, right? And, uh, oh, Ryan. Yeah, and Brian Robertson. Brian Robertson, Robertson yeah. And yeah. the band yeah. kind of evolved into a four piece for a while. And then the early 90s. Uh, they merged back. They got Mickey D, Phil Campbell, and they returned to that trio, that trio formation, and that's kind of how they ended their career, right? You know, I think my favorite Motorhead album is 1916, 
you know, there's there's some more melody on that album. Like No Voices in the Sky is such a great song, but yeah, it's like good. pop motorhead. That's good, but Overkill. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ace of <laughs> Overkill is one long song. Bro. Damage Case. Damage Case Damage is one case. of my favorite motor, motor kitten songs. I love that song. No class. <laughs> yeah, but I, what's the chorus, though? Damage Case. No class, you know that's the melody of the song. It's, you know? But it's the groove of the song, is what I yeah. dig. Like in it's that, the breaks, it's the playing. It's on. What do you got at number three there, BJ? Yeah, I got a, well, I got one that you're gonna hit. I already know you hate Lee, but uh, this band goes way back for me. Uh, when I was in high school, I would listen to a college radio station, Carroll College in Waukesha, which was probably half a mile from my house, and I don't even know how far 
the radio station even would have reached. But luckily, I was able to listen to it. And I heard, you know, a bunch of like indie bands and, uh, and uh, you know, underground music on that college radio station kind of started opening up my musical horizons or whatever. And so back then, before they were famous, I heard Green Day. I heard the song oh. Going to Pathalaqua. And it's still my favorite Green Day song. And it's the first one I ever heard. And I went to the exclusive company and bought the cassette. And then I got to see Green Day at a Milwaukee concert called the Mega Jam before Dookie came out. And I, my brother was into him too, but he was younger than me. And I still remember I came home and I told him they did two new songs. And one of them was great and one of them sucked. And the song I said sucked was Longview, which became their first big hit song. <laughs> and I still hate that song. I think that song's terrible. But I also think Dookie is a great album for the most part. And uh, Insomniac was good, but I kind of lost interest. But then I remember I was working at a record store when Nimrod came out. So I heard that a lot because everybody who worked in the store could pick a CD to play. But one of our managers was anal about us, us playing new music. So then you were always trying to find something new to play that was worth listening to. And so Nimrod got played a lot. And there's some great songs in that. But then they kind of, Warning wasn't such a good album. But they really made a great comeback with, with American Idiot, which was a really strong, impressive album when it came out. I mean, some of those songs have been so overplayed at this point. But like Jesus of Suburbia, that crazy medley is so great. So I've still always been a big Green Day fan. and It goes back to high school. And I just had to put them on this list for how big a fan I was and how much I've listened to them in my life. So, yeah. Right. I understand, like, oh, not man, me. dude, you talk about a band that sounds the same. Like, come on, every <laughs> song sounds the same. And my girlfriend hates me. There's no Green Day song that says my girlfriend hates me. So no one understands me. Oh man. Yeah, we've had this discussion. Joe, do you want to be the tiebreaker? What are your thoughts on Green Day? Uh, I'm not a huge fan. Uh, <laughs> uh, I like, you know, I, I like some of their stuff, but I I could do without ever hearing most of it again. But there, there's stuff that I dig by them, you know. You know, I had, you know, my freshman year of college, I had a Kerplunk shirt. That was their second album, and the guys oh, in wow. my dorm, the guys in my dorm would make fun of it, and uh, they'd be like, "What the hell is Green Day?" And then that summer, between freshman and sophomore year, that's when the band hit. And then when I came back, when we uh, met up. You know, after the summer, they were all like, "How did you know?" <laughs> you know, because <laughs> they remember that they had made fun of that shirt, and then of course they all liked the band once the summer was over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I uh, I saw Greed they opened for Bad Religion before Dookie came out too, and then we drove to Chicago for that show. They're driving back. We stopped at the over the tollway. There's the what do they call them? Oasis. It's like a thing that goes over the tollway, but you can't exit the tollway oh, yeah. to pay. So we went to the stop at the Wendy's after the show, and in front of us in line was Trey Cool and Mike Thurns. <laughs> oh, <laughs> wow. Billy Joe wasn't there, but the other two guys, and this was before Dookie came out, so they were just, you know, they were just in line at the Wendy's. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I can't believe you're going to make me play Green Day on my podcast. Yeah, yeah you could play the, the first song I ever heard by them, Going to Pasolacqua. It's fucking great. All right. <laughs> I, I do respect that you were into them before they became popular. Yeah, I'll give you that, yeah. Oh, I love them. Yeah. Here we go again. Infatuation touches me just when I thought that it would end. 
right, top two. What do you got, Joe? Okay. Uh, it's interestingly enough, both my top two bands are both bands that came out of the nineties. Um, yeah. Number two is the band Dada. Um, very underrated, I think. Um, they had one big hit that everybody knew them for. It's a song called Disneyland. But they were so much more than that. Uh, Michael Gurley on guitar, some vocals. Joey Callio on bass and lead vocals. And Phil Levitt on drums. Uh, Joey and Phil have a side project called Seven Horse that's out now. I've seen these guys live, uh, I don't know, four or five times. Amazing live show. They're one of those bands that, for a three-piece, just make it sound so much bigger than it is. Probably also because they have two lead vocalists. Uh, just so great. Uh, just Amazing guitar work by Joe, Michael Gurley. Um, I love both of them as singers and writers. Uh, just uh, every record they've done, they haven't done an album in quite some time, but like every record they, they put out, they're on IRS for a number of years, and then their last, that album on MCA, and then their last one was an independent release on Blue Cave Records, and they reissued like all their earlier albums on that label, but just they still tour, they still go out and do stuff, and just I just absolutely love everything they've done. Yeah, I know that band, but they didn't even cross my mind for this list. Yeah, yeah they're they're fine. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I've just I've just been a fan of them ever since. Yeah. you know, the first time I heard them, and again, yeah, this, I, I listen to them on a regular basis. So we'll just Where say are that. They from? Ah, California. Okay. Seventeen going on fifty. Quite sure exactly what that means. But the speaker screams nacho and the zombies. And the hair hung red around the red blue jeans. Said she was Jim Morrison incarnate. A psychic on the brain. Let's go to my 
My number two was for me growing up, this was a local band from Milwaukee, the Violent Femmes. They, uh, oh, yeah. yeah, we thought of them as a local band. But, you know, when I was in middle school in the late 80s, everybody, it's funny, everybody liked the Violent Femmes because they were our band, you know, in that area. Because Waukesha, I, I grew up in a suburb of Milwaukee. So, but I have a great story. Uh, uh, in seventh grade in German class, <laughs> our, when, we would have, when we would have um when we would have like work time like quiet time at class to work on our homework or whatever the teacher would let us play music and this one kid rob he brought the violent femmes album <laughs> and she put she put it on and and we were it was just quiet and we were listening to it and uh i think the third song is added up uh, if anyone's familiar with Oh, God. <laughs> he eventually gets to the point where he says, why can't I get just one fuck? <laughs> and Frau Fidley's head just shot up. Her mouth just dropped wide. And the funny thing was, we all knew it was coming. Like, coming we were all oh, man. at each other. That's <laughs> yeah, like the fourth, fourth verse he gets to that, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and we all knew it was coming, so we were just waiting for it. <laughs> why can't I get just one fuck? Why can't I get just one fuck? I guess got something. But yeah, the, I mean, that first album is such an amazing record. It's such a classic. And um, yeah, they, you know, they kind of, I think their success kind of sent them kind of in weird directions on their next couple of records, but they really... They came back on the fourth and fifth albums I absolutely love. The fourth album was called Three, and then the fifth album, Why Do Birds Sing? I, I have another memory of seeing them on the local news during Summerfest. I must have been in, um, I don't know, whenever Three came out, whatever year that was, like uh, 90 or something, they, they played the song Mother of a Girl on the local news just like standing there with the reporter and that's another that's a hilarious song it's angry and bitter and just Gordon Gato sings it through clenched teeth and it's the most insane song to see this band playing on the local news they were the weirdest band to be like the local hometown favorites you know because they were so strange and interesting and cool um I mean if you know the story of how they got discovered they were playing on the sidewalk in Milwaukee and the Pretenders were playing that night at the Oriental Theater, which I used to live right near there. And James Honeymoon Scott, I think it was, who saw them playing and asked them to open for the Pretenders that night. And that was their oh, wow. break. They were just busking on the on the sidewalk and they ended up opening for the Pretenders. And then, uh, yeah. Wow. yeah. And then their first album was kind of a hit. That's one, I, I think that stayed in the Billboard Top 100 for like years. It just hung around. You know, they just, it just had this staying power. And then like Blister in the Sun got played a lot on the radio then again in the 90s when Alternative became the big thing. And yeah, it was such a so big they, song. I remember yeah. seeing, them, seeing them in the mid 90s. They played, uh, like a, I think, like a Canada Day uh, festival up here where they played, uh, I think, Molson Park, where it's all like a big field. I think they standing on, on grass. And when they played, they're playing like it's like acoustic punk, basically, right? Like they're playing punk yeah. music, but it's with yeah. acoustic instruments. And I remember just seeing all the dirt like kicked up in the air because everybody's just dancing and slamming so hard, right? This just turned the whole field into this big like dirt cloud. <laughs> great memory. Yeah, yeah. There's just nothing like that band. Gordon Gano, 
uh, was brilliant. And yeah, the uh, Brian, what's his name? Brian, uh, the bass player, you know, with the upright bass. Oh. And, like, the song Good Feeling on the first time it has a bass solo. That sounds like a guitar solo and it's so beautiful. Yeah, amazing band. I love them. I saw Gordon Gaynell solo in the late 90s. Yeah. And he was pretty great. He, he did do some Violent Femmes tunes, but he was pretty good. Life was fun, life was great, until I made my big mistake. Oh no, it never happened to me. Life was short and life was sweet. I was thinking as I hit the street, I could hardly believe, I could scarcely conceive that I So my number two, this is the one I kind of had a bit of an issue with if I should include it on the list. And if they weren't on the list, Motorhead would have been way up there higher. But, you know, because this band kind of started, this guy started out as a solo artist and he would work with like session musicians. And then he ended his career, uh, well, it was cut short early, and he ended it kind of the same way as a solo artist with kind of just hiring a bunch of musicians. But there was this sweet spot in the middle, 1957, 58, where he performed as a trio, and I'm talking about Buddy Holly and the Crickets, all right? You know, everybody's familiar with Buddy Holly, but the Crickets was, you know, with uh, 
Joe Maudlin on bass and Jerry Allison on drums. And these three guys kind of had a unit. A lot of the big hits that are synonymous with Buddy Holly were, you know, made by just this trio. That'll be the day, looking for someone to love, not fade away, ready Teddy, Peggy Sue, Rock Me Baby, Fool's Paradise, we'll all write, think it over. Like, those are all trio Buddy Holly and the Cricket songs. Yeah. Love Buddy Holly and the Crickets. Yeah. Love them. When it comes to, like, like that original um, pioneers of rock and roll from back in the 50s, like, Buddy Holly's my guy. Yeah. You know. Well, I, I think he's probably the most important person in the history of rock and roll because he he just added that extra element of melody that's really not there. Well, Elvis didn't write his own songs. And then Chuck Berry is still so based in the blues. But there's something slightly different about Buddy Holly's songwriting that I think really led to like the Beatles and what Kate, what would come after. You know, he's probably right. the most important person for and you see where Buddy went with his music in such a short period of time. We're talking three yeah. years. He went from like yeah. like country rockabilly music, like Blue Days, Black Nights, and that kind of stuff. Then he went to like That'll Be the Day, Peggy Sue, Rave On, like in the heat of rock and roll, keeping up with that stuff. And then before he died in 59, he was getting into like True Love Ways and Raining in My Heart and these big lush arrangements and really stretching out with his music. So that's another guy where you're thinking, wow, if he would have lived like the amount of music and he would have put out you know it's just it's, it's hard to wrap your yeah, mind have around you ever tried to picture, yeah. like, have you ever tried to picture the Buddy Holly album that would have come out in like 1970 with long hair and like, <laughs> like where would he have gone over the course of the 60s and yeah who knows right. wow. but yeah, he, you know he was from what I've heard he was doing bluegrass until he heard Elvis until he heard That's Alright and that you know that put a that put something else in his head. Yeah, or, the rhythm you know, and blues. You got a little of the rhythm and blues in them, yeah. Yeah, but then when he writes, like, That'll Be The Day and Oh Boy, there's something different about those songs that's, that goes in a different, you know, yeah, direction got, than yep. or country. It's got Texas in it, right? He's a Texas boy, so that's really yeah. coming out the way he would sing. Yep. And even his whole persona, the way he wore glasses, right? Like, he was the first kind of rock star that wasn't really good looking, right? He wore a suit, and he had glasses, and he was kind of nerdy looking. Right, and that was his thing, and that's Buddy Holly was kind of responsible for John Lennon getting the confidence to be like, yeah, I'm just gonna wear my glasses on stage like Buddy Holly did, you know? Right. Yeah, Paul McCartney made that uh, the real Buddy Holly story documentary. Yeah, in response like, to the Gary Busey. Yeah. Film, I guess, right? To and kind of set the record says, straight. Yeah, basically, Paul even says Buddy Holly is like the most important person that led to, you know, the Beatles sound. But uh, I, I, you know hemmed and hawed and excluded him saying it wasn't a trio just because it was so hard to make this damn list yeah me too <laughs> Driving me back. 
feel For you to know just how I feel I love for real, not fade away So we got our number ones now. Joe, what are you going to reveal as your number one rock and roll trio? Uh, my, number one rock and roll trio for me, uh, Not A Surf. Again, another band out of the 90s from New York. Matthew Cause on vocals and guitar. Daniel Lorca on bass. Ira Elliott on drums. Uh, I love every single record these guys have done. Uh, they kind of came out in the late 90s uh, as part of that uh, nerd rock movement, I guess you will, like along the lines of Weezer. Weezer. Their first... <laughs> Their first big hit was like a fluke. Like it was wasn't even something that was going to be on the album, and it was kind of like not really representative of their sound at all, uh, in popular. Uh, but the rest of their, you know, the rest of their stuff is just great, kind of pop, power pop influenced. Uh, Let go their third album, like uh, one of my favorite albums of the last twenty years, easily. Every bit of it from the beginning notes to the ending notes. I've seen them live a dozen times. Um, always a great live show. The, technically, they are four piece now. They added Doug Gillard from, uh, oh, damn it. Uh, what was the band? <laughs> uh, I can't remember the name. Uh, Guided by Voices. Is, uh, he's uh, oh, the right. actual right. lead guitar player of the band now. He, he officially joined guy? with the last album. Was uh, he from Silver Verde? I think he was. Yes. From, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and he played with Guided by Voices too. But yeah. uh, they, um, I just love them, love everything about them. Like, I, I would definitely want their albums on a desert island to listen to. And again, just super great guys too. Um, just love, 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 love this band. Like, I, I will buy anything they put out without having heard a bit of it. You know, it, it could end up being terrible, but I'll buy it without, without you know, hesitation. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, Let Go is a great album. That's the only one I have, though, on CD. But, yeah, that popular song, it's just like the Sweater song was the first Weezer hit. It's like yeah. stupid songs from the 90s. Like, what was that Harvey Danger song, too? There were all these... Oh, um, Flagpole Sitter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, what was the other band? Nerve Herder was the other band that was kind of part of that. Right. It was just so many <laughs> yeah. bands that they just come out. But I saw I saw Nauta Surf when their first album came out on Elektra in a bar up here with six other people in the room and it was like including the bartender and his girlfriend Girlfriend, and ira elliott like i i've told them about that it's like i would and the label rep and i was there at that show and 
and uh, they still remember me from being at that show when I've seen them live. Like, hey, you were the guy in Portland, Maine that was at the show that time. Yeah, I can't guess what your number one is, Lee. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure everybody knows who knows me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, my number one had to be the Goo Goo Dolls. Just if for no other reason than Hold Me Up is one of my favorite albums of all time, of, of all wow. albums. Wow, uh, really? You like that one a lot, eh? Oh, God, yeah. Uh, but I love Jed. I love most of Superstar Car Wash. Even tons of great songs on uh, Boy Named Goo. Yeah. I even like probably half of um what's it called dizzy up the girl but then after that they completely went to shit i mean it is true that their last like four or five albums are pretty terrible but you know those albums from the 90s are i just love so much you I know can't, i can't stand uh, that one song though what's that that 
What name? Oh, Iris. Oh, yeah. I don't like it at That's... all. Oh, Iris. Yeah. Iris. Terrible. That's horrible. What, what album yeah. is that off? Is that like that era? Technically, well, that got put on, on the that Disney. City of Angels soundtrack, but then yeah. they put it on Busy Up the Girl, at, which came out probably a couple years. Oh, yeah, at least a, a year, year after. Yeah. Yeah. A year later. I but do love that song. Hold Me Up era, though. That was great. I remember oh, seeing yeah. the opera house, and yeah, they were a trio, and the dude on bass would always play Barefoot, I remember. Robbie, yeah. Yeah, yeah Robbie. Yep. Yeah, they're, they were a great band where they split the songwriting, and, uh, you know, both songwriters were great. But then the. Later, when they neutered their sound, they also neutered Robbie's songs and just made them total shit because he would write these punk songs. Yeah, the punk. And would right. They would produce it like John's songs, and they don't make any sense that way. But I guess they—you can't have an album where half of it is adult contemporary and half of it is pop punk. Right. Yeah. So they would <laughs> right. all the balls out of his songs, and yeah. So yeah, it, kinda, it became a disaster. He kind of turned to Bon Jovi a little bit. Eh? That guy, he kind of went from like rock punk to like. Adult contemporary, but you know we've seen that happen to a lot of bands where yeah. they just get for some reason they lose their spark and I don't know what happens, but they yeah, I think plug over to the dark side they, of success, were, man. Yeah, they were chasing success and they were, yeah. Eventually they start touring with Matchbox Twenty and just like you know fucking complete blasphemy. It just turned <laughs> into a nightmare yeah. at some point, but it's like they're touring with Train now. And yeah. it's like, oh, like Crazy. I would go see them, but I don't want to go see Train, man. I'm mean, like, you know, not even I would I, I'd go see them. Not, I don't even want to go see them just to see them open for somebody else. You know, it's like, ah, uh. but back in the day, I saw them a lot and they were great. But that's why they didn't make it higher on my list, because I, I kind of have to dock them for the other part. That, that early stuff, love it, just like you. But, you know, once you get past, like, the 90s especially, it's kind of... I still like the records, but it's a different band. Man. Oh, I've tried. I mean, I've... I tried to listen to, to some of that shit. What's that one? Let, Let Love In? Is that what it's called? Mm -hmm. Tried to listen to it. I thought it was terrible, though. I just can't... Couldn't get into it, but... Uh, you know, even Dizzy Up the Girl has some great songs like Broadway and... Um, Black Balloon is great. The last song on the album, I think, is called what's called Hate This Place. Yeah. There's some great stuff even on there, but after that. Oh, and actually the first song, Big Machine, is that what it's called? Yeah. Uh yeah. That's uh, the album. Flowers. Yeah, yeah, that song is amazing, but I think the rest of the album sucks. But that first song on that record is fucking amazing. I love it. So there's a lot of great stuff, you know, before they went to shit and yeah. I'll let you slide on that one for the whole meal, bro. <laughs> <laughs>
So my number one, everybody knows, my favorite band is a rock and roll trio. My favorite band is the Stray Cats. I got to go with Slim Jim Phantom on the drums, Lee Rocker on the upright bass, Brian Setzer, lead guitar, lead vocals, a band that literally changed my life when I saw them. You know, when I saw them in 82, I guess, I was eight years old, and I was always a big fan of Elvis and the early 50s and 60s music, and then when I saw Stray Cats, the, a new band coming out that was young and they were playing this music almost better than uh, the guys did it back then and they were writing new songs and they were, had videos and they looked so cool and uh, you know I was just a fan right from the start yeah I dig the Stray Cats I, I have to be honest and say like I, I probably only own half their catalog uh, I love them but I've never got the chance to see them live that probably be, definitely would have changed uh, yeah, more of my opinion band. about them yeah. And um, you know, I love Brian Setzer. I love the other solo stuff they've done. I, I'm a big fan of the Phantom Rocker and Slick albums. Yeah, um, I, I have both of those. Uh, you know, uh, but you know, they they just they just kind of miss the list for me yeah. as much as I do like them. And that's the only reason why, because if if I apply BJ's theory, um, then it's just like. Would I bring that? Would, would I be okay missing those? Maybe, you know. But I get—I totally get it from your point of view. But I, I can't deny the talent, the enjoyability, listening to the music. I just yeah. didn't get into them in the same way you did. And like, that's my thing, right? I love rockabilly. I love the '50s stuff. You know, I love Happy Days. I love Grease. I love American Graffiti. Yeah. I love all that shit, right? So, because <laughs> when I saw the Stray Cats come out and these guys are like greasing their hair back and they got leather jackets and they got tattoos. I was just like, holy shit, this is fucking awesome, right? And they're playing great songs, and uh, 
you know, and I'm learning instruments, and I'm learning how to play guitar, I'm learning how to play drums, and I'm playing along to all these songs, and, uh, you know, just a big part of my life is the Stray Cats. Still one of my favorite bands of all time. Yeah, I mean, I even like the Stray Cats. You, you can't deny how cool they were to come out of the punk scene, and then in the middle of New Wave to just to be doing yeah. just whatever the hell they wanted to do, you know, and... Uh, right. Like yeah, another band that played the Us well. Fest that we talk about, Triumph played the Us Fest. The Stray Cats played the Us Fest as well. And you think about yeah. how big the Us Fest was and all the bands on there. And when the Stray Cats played, it was just three guys with like a couple of amps, a couple of drums, and they just like rocked. It's, it's so cool. You know? Yeah. Yeah. If I had a chance to go see him live, I'd do it in a hot second. Like yeah. somebody say, hey, you want to go see the Stray Cats? Absolutely. Well, you're going to have a chance next year. They're doing a 40th yeah, anniversary uh, album and tour, which is going to be exciting. Yes, I heard, gonna, I heard that. Yeah, I'm hopefully going to catch a couple of those shows for sure. Hey, man. I don't feel like going to school no more. Me neither. You can't make me go. No way, daddy It's not much, much too early for me. I don't care about reading, writing, arithmetic, or history. I'm gonna walk to the corner to meet my little Marie. I'm gonna walk to the corner to meet my little Marie. Well, she's the only girl in this whole world who understands me. Well, she's sexy.
sound and shake it around the open mind, 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 mind. Dig that sound and shake it around the open mind. All right, fellows, so that's our list of rock and roll trios. Yeah, not much uh, overlap, eh? And Joe, yeah. I was impressed. You A lot of new music, eh? You, you can really can lash on to new music. I, I try, but I, I can't do it, you know? Uh, and there's, there's so <laughs> many other bands yeah. that I wanted to include on yeah. this list and just couldn't. Uh, the Fags, uh, some other bands out of the oh, 90s. I didn't even think of The Fags. Yeah, <laughs> Bu- Buffalo Tom, Grant Lee Buffalo. Um, I didn't think Blonde of Buffalo from the Tom 80s. either. Yeah. Uh, material yeah. issue, material yeah. issue. Absolutely love them. Kings X. Uh, God, who else? Uh, there's so many bands that I wanted to put on this list and I just couldn't do it. And uh, well, another one was Budgie. Ash. Yeah, Budgie. Budgie. Ash. Well, well, yeah, I thought of Ash, but my favorite Ash was after they added a fourth person. Fourth person. Yeah, when then Charlie Caffrey was in there. Yeah, so it's like that's the same thing too. Like they they did. Um, they had a fourth person for a couple albums, so I had to discount those Ash. Are the too, best I love albums, in my opinion. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. I, I love Ash, but especially uh, those two records that. Yeah. Like Meltdown. What's the one before Meltdown? Um, oh, um, Nuclear Days. Yeah, yeah, those two yeah. records are my favorites for sure, and yeah. that's when uh, Meltdown. It. I love that album. Oh, it's so great, but yeah. they weren't the trio on that. So. Right, it was the four piece. I was thinking Timbuk three, like the two of them in that. Oh ghetto, yeah! And, and the Ghetto Blaster could have been like the third member, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you said Buffalo Tom, and that's a great one. And then that also leads to Dinosaur Junior. Yes, that was the Another other Dinosaur yeah. Junior. Yep. Lee, were you Too ever many. into the John Spencer Blues? Explosion? Oh, not really. I know when they came out. Uh, yeah, yeah, they just the songs just never hooked me. That when yeah. I was pl- talking about that show where I saw the Violent Femmes kick up all the dirt, I think. John Spencer was playing that same Canada show, I think. The yeah, they were time. fun. I saw them live a couple of times, but yeah, I never really loved the albums, but they were uh, they were a fun band. And one other one, BJ, that I'm surprised wasn't on your list, uh, The Nerves. You know, I didn't even think of that, but because you got like there was a band that like three, yeah, yeah, you but know. you know they only ever had That's well, just they, had they didn't really have an album, really. TV, but yeah, but you kind of just said what should have been like my number two <laughs> yeah because but, yeah. it's like they never really had a whole album out i mean they have a posthumous no. release of like kind of collecting yeah, they've got an album you know. worth of songs there that but some of them ended up on the guys later records yeah right, right. like jack That's lee's special, favorite but... bands ever yeah i mean you know I you, I, them, no. classic tune and hanging on the telephone but even like a lot of that stuff was so good that you know peter uh, case whole, went on the board. four song ep is amazing well, and you know, I mean, an obvious one is Nirvana, which I don't know how you guys feel, but I mean, they didn't make my list, but there's plenty of Nirvana songs I like quite a bit. Yeah. I'm not nah, going to say it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> <They got> good- <laughs> Killdozer, uh, I had to leave off. They would have made like 11 or 12 on my list. I was into Killdozer for a bit there in the early 90s. Another trio is Dust. Yeah, Dust. Uh, Dust. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, another modern trio that I dig quite a bit too is um, oh god now I'm just going to forget the name of the band uh, a couple of them too Black Moods is a good little rock and roll band out of Arizona uh, and Jesus uh, Band of Skulls that's who I'm trying to think of uh, three piece from also from uh, I want to say Wales or England um, they have a female bass player and she sings and the guitar player sings and they do harmony stuff together which is really great um, I've liked every record they've put out too. 
Speaking of skulls, old skull was also a trio. <laughs> you guys probably don't know who they were. I don't know those guys. <laughs> they were that. little kids. They were like these little ten-year-old kids that had a record in the, I don't know, early '90s, maybe a oh, horrible punk <laughs> type record. Hanson old does Hanson skull. count? Hanson's kind of a yeah. Hanson is a trio, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I think I, I think between all three of our picks, we got we covered most of them there anyway. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So check out Joe. Check out your show, uh, Sit and Spin with Joe. You're like a almost like a YouTube exclusive podcast kind yep. of show, right? Yeah. Yep. And uh, BJ Rockin' or Roll, you're on iTunes and all those other places where people find podcasts. Yeah. 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 Well, thanks, guys. Always great talking to you guys about music, rock and roll. Oh, you yeah. too, Lee. You too, BJ. Yeah, thank you. This was a great idea. It was it fun. It was fun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hard, but fun and hard in a yeah, good yeah. way, you know? Yeah, it's just good reason to stir up some more rock and roll conversations. <laughs> All yeah. right, guys, we'll talk to you next time. That's the show, friends. Thanks for listening. You can find us on our website, TrampsLikeUsPod.com, communicate with us on Facebook, on our Tramps Like Us podcast group page, and on Twitter, at TrampsLikeUsPod. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes, where you can leave a review and a five-star rating. Rockin' and Rollin' and Whatnot Sidecast is a non-profit audio fanzine created by fans for fans and is available for free. We are not affiliated with Bruce Springsteen or any of the artists featured on the show. If you have heard any music you like, please find it and purchase it via iTunes, Amazon, your local record store, or wherever music is sold. As always, gratitude and respect to all of the great musicians and performers we feature on the show. Stay cool and keep rocking and rolling and whatnot. Hey, driving is a serious business. I ain't having no accidents just because of you. Come on, don't give me any grief. Warning you. Spare me, killer. Oh, shit. Why'd you do that? I don't like that surfing shit. Rock and roll's been going downhill ever since Buddy Holly died.